Five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. My name is Dee Moore, and I am a stage four kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage, educate, and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, chronic illnesses, and health. If you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover, please get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. In today's episode, I am bringing you a kidney warrior story. Now there's always something you can learn from someone's story, something that can bring inspiration and hope. My guest today from Middlesbrough, England, is the vivacious mum of three, Sarah Eels. Sarah was diagnosed with kidney reflux disease at birth and has been on dialysis for three years. Sarah joins me today to share the lessons she has learned during her kidney warrior journey. Hi and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior, the podcast. How are you doing today, Sarah? Oh, very well. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome and thank you for your time today. I'm always excited to do Kidney Warrior stories because I really believe that there's so much we can learn from people's lived experiences. There's nothing like someone sharing their story and their journey. And there's so much, I believe, that can help others, that can encourage others. So, yes, I'm really looking forward to hearing your story today. So how did your kidney warrior journey begin? How were you diagnosed? Well, mine is one of, I had kidney reflux disease from birth and it was back then um, in the 80s. It wasn't something that was believed by, they said that my mum was a bit neurotic. She was a young mother. There was nothing wrong with me. And she wouldn't have it. She kept taking me back. And by the time that they realized there was something wrong with me, it was too late for one of my kidneys. And I had my left kidney removed when I was six. And I had a stint put in place um, as well. So it's kind of gone on from there. So I was just constantly checked up on. And my mom was told that there was a possibility I wouldn't have children or I wouldn't carry them, um, all sorts of things. But I just lived a relatively normal life it was just normal to me UTIs constantly but it was just normal part of life so for no any normal child to get a UTI they'd probably be poorly and and really not well but when I got them because you were so used to them I just got on with it even though I was taking medication and then as I got older I had I had three children on this one kidney so it has lasted me over 30 years which is wow. amazing yeah I had three children on it and then it was about seven years ago. Um, it was kind of one of them things I knew would come one day, but you don't really think about it because I was so used to it and I've always had kidney reflux disease. It wasn't something I thought, oh, day I'm going to have, I'm going to be in kidney failure. It just kind of was something that was in the background, but you never really think of. And then seven years ago, I went to just a routine appointment and I went by myself and I got told I was in kidney failure and it kind of hit me. I don't know whether it should have hit me so much, but it really did. It hit me and you just have all these questions that you don't ask because you're in shock. 
And I just remember going home and telling my husband and and having that conversation of I've been told I need to start thinking about transplant and and the best thing for me would be to get somebody to donate a, a live donor um and it was just a bit surreal and I gave myself a few days of being down and explaining to everyone and it ended up me comforting everybody else <laughs> you know, like okay <laughs> me, me comforting my mom about how heartbroken she was that I was finally in failure but I was I wasn't it was about six months before I even started dialysis um, so it was six months of having to go on a special diet, low phosphate, low potassium, uh, fluid restriction and all of that, all that fun stuff that you go through first and watching what you're eating and iron infusions every few months and EPO injections because you're no longer producing uh, red blood cells. So it was all that fun stuff, but it was kind of, it was a kick in the teeth, even though I knew it was coming. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? Like, even though you know that something's on the horizon, until it happens, it hasn't happened. And mentally, I don't think you can prepare for it. It's no matter how far away it seems. Yeah, it must have been so hard to, like, process all of that. And then to be going through that and then you're having to comfort other people, that must have been really tough. I think it's just my personality. That's just the way I am. It was, um, I'm, I'm one of them people that I'll, I can be there for everyone else and I can dish out the advice and I comfort, but I don't take my own advice or I don't like to be vulnerable. So it's that idea of being vulnerable. It didn't sit well. I mean, I'm okay with it now being vulnerable, but at the time I was kind of, I think, like I say, because you were so used to uh, being classed as ill, but you don't feel ill before I was diagnosed with kidney failure having kidney reflux you just you are poorly all the time but you don't think of it like that so I kind of took that mentality of it of yes I'm ill but do I need to act ill if that makes sense yes what is what are you supposed to act like when you when you get diagnosed with something and it was kind of it was difficult to start losing well you you should know yourself you when you start to lose I lost a little bit of me the poorlier I got I lost me and you don't realise, honestly, how poorly you become until you start dialysis. It's one of them things that I was just I was just getting on with it, just getting on with it. And at the time of being diagnosed with kidney failure, like I said, I had three children. I have three children. Didn't have. I still have three children. <laughs> and <laughs> I was working part time in a shop. I was also in college um, and I was also doing a two day in a school placement because I was in college doing um, a teaching assistant course and I had to do two full days in a school as well plus um, working part-time so I was just getting on with things and, and I just put it down I was just tired because of everything I was doing at the time um, but I was having to have a few naps a day so I would pick the children up from school I'd come home and it would just let mommy have 10 minutes and I'd fall asleep and then waking up and having to cook for them. And, and it was just slowly I started losing a bit of myself. I, I mean, I'm not ashamed for it, but I'm a loud, bubbly person. I, like, I absolutely love life. And I'm always the life and soul of a party. So it was a bit difficult to start losing myself. And I lost weight. And I didn't really have much weight to lose. And I lost a lot of weight. But in my head, I was just getting on with it. 
I wasn't ill, I wasn't poorly. And, and it wasn't until you get told, right, now you need to start dialysis. And after a few weeks, maybe, of dialysis, I started to get a bit of my old self back, which is very funny because you wouldn't think like that treatment and you don't want to have that treatment. Nobody wants to go on dialysis and it isn't easy. It is tough, but it really did give me my life back. It really did. So for that, I am grateful. So rewinding back slightly, what exactly is kidney reflux? So kidney reflux disease is the easiest way to explain it is when you go for a wee, the wee goes back up. It goes back up instead of coming out. It goes back up into your system, into your bladder. So that causes scarring to your kidneys, major scarring to your kidneys. And that's what the reflux is in easiest way to explain it. That is what reflux is. So if you think of a sponge, this is the way my consultant explained it to me years ago. If you think of a sponge with holes in it, and when you squeeze water out, that's protein coming out, so which causes constant UTIs. So it's a lot of, when you're squeezing, all that that's coming out of them holes in your kidney is protein, which is in your wee. And so if I'd go to the toilet, when I was younger, I was got told to sit there another two minutes to make sure you, it's all empty, your bladder's empty. But reflux means it goes back up, causes scarring to your kidney, which can cause kidney failure I see so as a child I mean did it make much difference in terms of your day-to-day life you you mentioned that you had a lot of UTIs Mm -hmm. but aside from the UTIs was your childhood you know did it affect your childhood in any way or was that the main thing not that I realized no it was just part of my life it was just normal to me. I, I, I didn't grow up here. I grew up, my dad was in the army. So I grew up Catrick first. And then I lived in Germany for a long time. And I had my kidney removed at Guy's Hospital in London. Um, and the only thing that was different was mum and dad taking it in turns to take me back and forth to the hospital in London. But they made it like it was a, 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 mammy, a, a mammy and daughter trip or a daddy daughter trip. And I just got to go on it and my brothers and sisters didn't. Um, and it must have been difficult for my parents. Obviously, it must have been. That, there was four of us and back and forth looking after me and obviously with UTIs. But no, I wasn't brought up any different. And if I didn't notice any difference apart from holidays and things. I was constantly covered up, hats on. Um, and it was just constantly having to do wheeze in a tub or in a testing testing pot and my brothers and sisters not having to do that but my mum and dad were very open with me in what was wrong and this is why we have to do this and it didn't really affect my childhood no and it wasn't until you take control of your own health as you become an adult that you realize what's going on and obviously as a child I had to constant blood tests but it was kind of again it was just it was just normal for me. I had a normal childhood. So as you got older and you mentioned that the doctors said to your mom that you might not be able to have children. So when yeah. you got to the age where you were thinking about starting a family, did that have to be planned or were your pregnancies just? Well, they said this to my mom when I was younger. It was a case of if she waits too long, 
it would be very, very difficult if possible at all. And now I had my first one unplanned early. I was 19 when I fell pregnant with my first child. Um, so no, I didn't plan him. Um, I was doing well with my health. Uh, and he he wasn't a bad pregnancy. So I found it easy to get pregnant. But I did have difficult pregnancies. I mean, with my eldest one, who's coming up 18 now, he um, I had preeclampsia. And that was caught pretty early on. And I was constantly having water infections all of the time. So it was decided to put me on um, an antibiotic, a low dose of an antibiotic for the whole of my pregnancy to stop that. And then the preeclampsia, I was on medication for that as well. Um, and in the end, I went from, I mean, I was only a thin teenager. And I went from, I remember going from a size eight and at the time we lived at my mom's house, uh, me and my boyfriend at the time, her husband lived at my mom's house, jam packed house. And she had what us women call your thin wardrobe and your fat wardrobe. All women have that. And she had these clothes in the, her, what she calls the fat wardrobe. And I put that much weight on just water retention with the um, preeclampsia. I lived in her clothes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I lived in her her what she called fat clothes, um, and it was it was it was just funny because there was a picture of me like I felt like I'd gone from one picture to this other picture just so swollen, so so swollen. Even and then. Bobby, my eldest, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he he ended up being early. He was fine. It was me that was deteriorating, and my health with preeclampsia. If you know anything about preeclampsia, it can be very very dangerous. And I ended up in hospital with him and he was born three weeks early and um, due to complications with myself and the preeclampsia. And there was talk of me having a C-section. Again, like I said, there was always the talk of I might not be able to give birth naturally. And with the complications of preeclampsia, it can become really dangerous. And I remember having advised to have the epidural and I had this epidural. And if you've had, if you know anything about epidurals, you can't move from your waist down. You can't feel pain they tell you when to push <laughs> and I just remember them saying if you do not get this baby out in the next half an hour we're taking you down for emergency c-section and I did I got him out myself luckily but with all I have three children and with all of my pregnancies the mid my second son was the easiest he was only four days early but there was signs of preeclampsia occurring so it was decided to start me off again with him but only four days early the only thing with him was when they started me off and they put the tablet in there to start me off, they'd realised um, quite quickly that, I can't remember what it was called, but the umbilical cord and was and the sac was inside out. So if they'd have managed to start me off, I would have lost oxygen. The baby would have lost oxygen and I would have also, and it could have been, it become dangerous. So I always say, I can't do anything by half. I can't <laughs> do anything by half. So um Luckily, I went into labour myself with him. But with my daughter, my el my youngest, she was, I was the worst with her. Again, I got preeclampsia, uh, but I become seriously ill. And I was hospitalised, uh, I think it was four weeks before I had her. Um, and that was so, very difficult, having two young children at home and then being in the hospital. And I, I just remember them. I didn't really like, understand what the fuss was. And I remember them saying they were starting me off. And I had, and I said, I need to go home for the baby stuff and I need to explain this to my children. And they allowed me to go home for one hour. 
And I remember them slipping a number into my husband's hand and saying to him, don't let her do this, don't let her do that. Anything, she can't breathe properly, anything, you need to phone an ambulance immediately and phone this number and we'll prepare uh, a delivery suite. And I just thought, what is all this fuss for nothing? And I remember coming home and my neighbour coming out and saying hello to me and her face dropped and I didn't understand why. And she went in quickly and I thought it was quite rude. And it wasn't until after I'd given birth and she said to me, I couldn't look at you, Sarah. You looked so poorly. I couldn't speak to her. I went in and I cried my eyes out. And it was my mum and my sister had come to visit me once and they didn't come and visit me anymore in the hospital. And it was because I was, they said I was so poorly they didn't want to scare me um, by getting upset. Right. And it, it was just, it was just a surreal thing to think that all of this was because of my kidneys. And at the time, I was thought I was doing quite well. But you don't realise how fragile and weak, if you have a kidney disease, your kidneys are. And all of this was because of my kidneys. But I just feel so thankful that I've had children. I've had three children before I went into kidney failure, and there is people in my position who are desperate for children. And they've already had their kidney transplant or they've already gone through failure and they're not even sure if they're going to be able to. And that's that's why I would go through it all again, because I have the three children. I've got everything I wanted before I started kidney failure. So you really went through a really tough time with your pregnancies. And wow, I mean, that shows that the warrior was there from the very beginning. It's amazing how, like you said, when you're going through the symptoms or what we now know are the symptoms of kidney failure, you just push through and you carry on. And I can really relate to that because before my kidneys um, started failing, you know, you have that feeling that you're, you're pushing through, you feel tired, you have all these, you know, symptoms and you find yourself pushing through and pushing through and then it becomes normal, doesn't it? It's like, like you said. Yeah, it does. That you normalize what you shouldn't normalize it becomes normal to be tired all the time it becomes normal to have to push through and find things difficult and when you look back you think ah that was the symptoms of kidney failure but at the time you just think I'm just getting on with it I mean mm-hmm. you were a mother you you were working you were studying you you had all these challenges and all these things that were going on and and yet your kidneys were in failure and you were pushing through so it just goes to show the importance of really knowing what to look for, really. Like people always ask me, you know, what are the signs, you know, what were the signs and symptoms of kidney disease? How did you know? How are you feeling? But the truth is, these are the very same symptoms that quite often we as women just ignore. Yeah. We push through, we battle through and we ignore it. But actually, we need to get ourselves checked out. So hundred percent definitely yeah if you're feeling symptoms do get yourself checked out it's definitely true definitely people don't realize how important kidneys are what how important as an organ kidneys are I really don't think because the main ones you think of are your heart for one that's the main organ that people would talk about but your heart will not work without your kidneys yeah it's a true fact Your kidneys are your filter. They will filter all of your toxins out. So if you are feeling ill, if you do have symptoms, you really do need to keep an eye on that and get it checked out for sure. With my kidney reflux disease, it's hereditary in my family. It seems to have 
I'm the only one that's that we know of so far. Um, but my sister was born with slight kidney reflux and they caught hers. Um, she had medication from birth until she was about five. My daughter has slight kidney reflux on both her kidneys from me, which I found really difficult to deal with at first. Um, and if I fought for her whilst pregnant to be checked immediately, because neither one of my boys showed symptoms and they were checked, they decided at the time, well, maybe we don't need to check this one. Your other two were fine. And it was me saying, no, I want her checked. And at four weeks old, she was checked and she does have slight reflux on both her kidneys. And she was on a medication from birth until six years old, which has helped her. And luckily she hasn't had no UTI. She's doing really, really well. She's still under a consultant that she hasn't had to see for a long time. But they decided to keep her under a consultant because as a female, once she hits puberty, which she has now, that's when scarring occurs on the kidneys. Right. So having to educate her about her kidneys from a young age and making sure she's not holding in when she needs to go to the toilet, to go to the toilet, to drink plenty of water. Um, luckily, she understands. Well, my kids understand it brilliantly because they watch me and they, they see me on dialysis with being at home. But that was that was a hard pill to swallow, feeling guilty about that I'd give her kidney disease. And you know that that's not true. I do know that's not true now. Yes, I Good. do know. I think it was just the the mum guilt of was I selfish to want her because she she was the only child that we planned. As funny as that sounds, she okay. had to be planned because I was on medication at that stage for my kidneys. And obviously you couldn't be on this medication and be pregnant. So she was she was planned with my consultant, which was very romantic of having to come <laughs> off the medication, come off your contraceptive pill. And the talk was, this probably won't happen for a few months. You probably won't fall pregnant for a long time. And after my body cleared of the contraceptive pill and my body cleared of the medication, I was pregnant within two weeks, which was, which was funny. Um, but yeah, she was the only one planned. So I think it's just the mum guilt of it was me that wanted her. I wanted her that bad. We planned her. I was willing to come off my medication to have her. And then to be told that she had the kid slight, slight kidney fit, uh, disease. It was the mum guilt for a long time because it's her, it, it runs in the females in my family. So I did feel like it, I was responsible for it. And was I selfish for having her? But she's absolutely fine and she's brilliant. Um, but it, it's the mum guilt, isn't it? I think all, yes. all those mums have mum guilt for everything. Yeah. I have mum I have mum guilt for having kidney failure. I'm in mum guilt for that. Yes. Because, I, I can relate because to that. Cause, exactly, because they see it. It's just I think we always have mum guilt. No matter what we do, there's mum guilt. So you can't oh, yeah. win. Oh yeah, definitely. You work, you feel mum guilt. You don't work, you feel mum guilt. You leave them, you feel mum guilt. Yeah. You stay with them, you feel mum guilt. So <laughs> I totally relate to mum guilt. I think every mother at some point feels somehow that they're guilty by absolutely everything and every decision that they make. Full mum guilt forever, forever and ever. But they're turning out all right, so I can't be doing that bad of a job. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> they fed the cloth, they've got a roof and they've got brains in their head, so I'm taking credit for all of that. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> 
So you mentioned that you went on to dialysis. So how was Mm -hmm. the process of going on to dialysis and being on dialysis? So you have a run up to dialysis. Um, There comes a point in your blood results or test results of of anything that you talk about what type of dialysis you're going to go on. So I went to a lot of, I think you'll know about this yourself, the pre-dialysis days. I went to a few of them. You get to see, I saw a peritoneal dialysis machine. Uh, It was all different things. And my initial decision was to go on to peritoneal dialysis. That's what I always thought I would go on. And it wasn't until you have the talk again with my consultant who said, right, Sarah, I think now has come the time we're going to start prepping you for dialysis. You're under EGFR 15%. We're going to start prepping you for dialysis. Um, And it, it was my consultant, a talk with him, that made me decide to do hemodialysis. And it was because also with peritoneal dialysis, it's fine for if you if you can do that. It just didn't seem like it was one for me. And I just didn't like the idea of putting a foreign object into my stomach. Whereas a fistula, it's an artery and a vein that's cut and tied together to make your what's called a fistula, where your dialysis needles will go. And so we had that made. And the like you'd have as much time as possible for that to mature your fistula to mature um so they wanted maybe 10 12 weeks and it was three my fistula was three weeks old when I suddenly just crash landed Mm. and it was a phone call from a registrar that said um that my test was my blood results had come back they weren't happy with it at all I needed to start dialysis immediately is in the next day which was a Saturday and could I go in at seven o'clock in the morning um for dialysis I remember putting the phone down and I was literally in the car with my sister-in-law and my niece and we were just parked up to have our eyebrows done. (laughs) And I just remember she'd seen my face and my sister-in-law burst into tears before I could even say anything. She knew what I was going to say. Then my niece started crying. I don't, she didn't even know what she was crying for. She was only three or four at the time. And, And so we were all just in this car crying our eyes out having a cuddle and then I had to pull myself together and phone my husband and let him know and I just remember the next day was turning up at the hospital and going through them doors and not having a clue what I should do and there was just everybody in the waiting room waiting for their half past seven dialysis session their morning session so I just waited in the waiting room with everybody else and with me and my husband who stood there he was holding my hands I just remember his knuckles were white where I was squeezing his hand and you go through this door, went through this door with everybody else. And there's a, 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 sign, a notice board on the side with everyone's names on and what bay you're going to be in. And I just remember a lady coming up to me and saying, you need to check the board and see where you are. Now, I didn't have a clue what bay one, bay two, bay three, bay four was. And I just remember being stood in the middle of this room thinking, what do I do? And I was shaking like a leaf. And then. She said to me, well, what's your name? And I told her my name and she said, oh, you're with Rachel and you're in Bay 3. And they showed me where I was going to this bed. And I just remember being in this bed of four with, and in there was four older, a lot older gentlemen and me. And I sat on the bed and waited for the nurse and she come over and I just thought, I didn't even get a chance to go for a visit to the unit. And that was the plan. The plan was to go for a visit. Before, while your, your fistula is mature and you get to go on a visit and 
to explain what's going to happen and this is what we'll be doing and this is the machine, etc. I didn't get that. So I just sat on this bed. There was this machine next to me. I had seen one, like I say, on the pre-dialysis unit. Um, and there was all these people there with the needles in their arms. And I was petrified of needles. And I just remember I started crying. This poor nurse come over to, to see to me and I'm already crying. So she was like, it's all right. It's all right. We're just going to put one needle in today um, because obviously it wasn't mature enough. And I just remember that I couldn't even look. I could not even look at the needles. My husband's face was white as a sheet. <laughs> he was worried. Oh. And I just they put this needle in. I just remember crying so much that she closed the curtain because these old men must have been looking at me like I was dramatic. You know, like they, I don't know how long they'd been there, but they must have been looking at me like, calm down, you're so dramatic. Oh. And, and it was the first couple of, I just, for a few weeks, I couldn't look. I, cu- I couldn't even bring myself to look at them putting the needle in. They'd have to say, are you ready? And I'd say to him, don't say I'm already, don't count down, just do it. But I just remember coming out of there afterwards and thinking, that wasn't that bad. I was just expecting to be sick, to just feel so poorly. And it wasn't that bad as I'd made it out in my head. But I think it was just the unknown. And I think that's what it is. It's the unknown. Um, But after a few weeks of going, like I said, I just started to feel like my old self. And my mood started to pick up a lot more. And... The nurses, they just put you at ease and they become they start they sort of become your family because you're there so much. So what was the the difference in the way that you felt before you started dialysis versus the way you felt afterwards? Before I started dialysis, um an example of this is one summer, that summer, me and my sister. And our children went for a walk in this park and woods near to where I lived. And she kept saying, can we slow down? Can we slow down? And she was making out it was her that needed me to slow down. And what she'd said afterwards when I started dialysis was, I could see you were struggling to walk, but you would never admit it. And you were just getting on with it. But I was, she said she was looking at me and she felt like I was just going to collapse. And I was just carrying on and carrying on. So when she was asking me to slow down, it wasn't for her. It was for me because she was concerned. And I was just getting on with it and trying to play with the children and climbing the tree and playing in the park and trying to run around. And it wasn't until I'd been on dialysis a few weeks and we went out again that I wasn't as out of breath. I could run with the children. I wasn't as tired. Now, after that day in the park, I came home and I went to sleep for an hour because I was that exhausted and we'd only gone for a walk to the park. It wasn't, it was 10 minutes away from my house. And that's how I started to realise was my breathing was better. I wasn't feeling, I mean, even on dialysis with kidney failure, you're still tired. There's no getting away from the tiredness. You just get used to it. And it was a few weeks later and I thought, I'm feeling better. And I don't even know how I did it, but before I started dialysis, I'd done a 10K for charity. And what? I, honestly, I did. And <laughs> it was, I remember going to my consultant and I'd signed up for the um, Great, uh, I'd signed up for the Great North Run, I'd signed up for. And I remember going to my dialysis appointment, uh, my consultant appointment, and him saying to me, I'm really sorry, but you are not doing 
the Great North Run. It isn't happening. You cannot run that far. So I said, being me, I'll tell you what, then I'll make you a deal. I'll do the Middlesbrough 10K. And he said, no, just do 5K. I said, no, I'll tell you, I'll, ju- I'll do the 10K. That's my compromise. And I trained for it. I ran. And wow. <laughs> I, I done the Middlesbrough 10K and I done it in one hour and four minutes. And I kicked myself for that because I thought that was a slow time. And it was my husband and everyone else saying to me, are you for real? You are in kidney failure and you need a nap after a, after a walk and you've just done the Middlesbrough 10K. It wouldn't have mattered <laughs> if you'd done it in two, three hours. You've just done that to raise money for kidney research and you're in kidney failure. And I did do that. But after that, I start, and it was, I think it was four months after that, four or five months after that, I started dialysis. But it's Whoa. just that's just what I'm like. I, I will not be told I can't do something. You can't have children. I'll have three. You can't do a run. I'll do the middle for 10K. <laughs> it's just who I am. You don't, I, I can do it. I can. <laughs> so I did. No, I, wow. I, I don't even know what to say. Like, that is just, <laughs> that is incredible what you, what you achieved there. And I really do believe that, you know, not that I'm saying, yeah, go out there and do a 10K if you're in renal failure. But what I am saying yeah. is the mind is so important. I really believe that the power of the mind is what makes you and breaks you quite often on this journey. It's like if you have the kind of mindset of I can versus I can't, that is the difference between, you know, really thriving or just merely surviving. And yeah. I really love that that mindset that you have that's just like I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna do it I really I really really love that so while we're we're talking about mindsets and um I wanted to ask you what advice would you give to someone who has just been diagnosed with kidney disease I would say if you've just been diagnosed with kidney disease you are going to be in a place where you're confused You're not going to know where to turn, what to do. And it is okay to be in a bit of a sad place. You're going to feel down. You're going to be upset. Have that. Have that time to let it absorb, let it sink in, educate yourself. If you need to have a cry and a rant, do it. Just don't live there. Just don't live in that place of feeling sorry for yourself because that's not going to help. You need to just educate yourself. Pick yourself up and try your best to live as normal a life because just because you've been told you've got kidney disease your life's not over it's not over not by a long shot you have so much to give you have so much to still do just pick yourself up talk it out if you need to and educate yourself that's my biggest bit of advice because if you know what's going on with your own health that is you in control of it then that is excellent advice that's so powerful thank you for that so much so going back to your dialysis now so you started off at the hospital doing your Mm -hmm. dialysis and you you went on to now dialysize at home that's right yeah that come about so like I said I was one of the I think I must have been the most frightened patient that uh, James Cook unit renal unit had and it was 
it started off slowly. So they encourage you to do your own weight as you go in. You do your own weight. And then it went from doing my own weight to setting up your pack. So your pack, you open it up and it'll have um, like your blue, like a blue sheet that you put all, put all your stuff on. And you have like your gauze and a pot and your alcohol wipe and that type of thing in it. So you set that up and then you set your needles up with it and your syringes. And then it went from that to setting up the machine, taking your own blood pressure, writing your own notes. It's called shared care. So you choose what fit you would like to do. Everyone does their own weight. That was a given at my unit. And then you can choose which bits to do. If you don't want to do any of it and you just want to go in and have your dialysis and go home, that is absolutely fine as well. Some people just don't want to deal with that. But me, I needed to take control of it just so that my own peace of mind and so I knew what I was doing. And the only thing I did say I would never do was put my own needles in. That was something I was never going to do. So that would mean I'd never go home. And it was... So, so far into it, I was doing everything but my own needles. And we decided that the best form of action for me was to do buttonholing, which is the same site each time. So you take the scab off and you put the needle in the same holes every time instead of uh, laddering, which is different site, like slightly up each time. And when you do buttonholing, you create tunnels. So then you can move on to blunt needles instead of sharp needles. And it was the bottom site was ready for a blunt needle. And the nurse had just turned to me and said, do you want to try and do this yourself? Because they'd always said you will do this. I said I won't. And it was slowly drip feeding into me that I could do it. And it was other patients, a patient I was quite close to. I used to watch him put his own needles in and he'd say to me, you're ready for this. You'll do this. You, if, you can, if you can watch me do it, you can do it to yourself. You're ready for this. And it was playing in my mind. And this nurse had turned to me this day and just said, would you like to try? And I had no idea why I said it. I'm petrified of needles. I just said, all right, then, yeah, I will. And I put that needle in and it just gave me so much confidence. And so for over a week or two, they were there watching me do it, put my needles in. So I was like, don't leave me, don't leave me. And then slowly but surely, I just started I didn't need them there. I was doing it, but I knew they were there. And then it was a discussion we'd had about me moving to a satellite unit instead of at the hospital. And I've just said, instead of me moving to the satellite unit, I'd like to talk about going home, which they were shocked about. So that's what I did. They come and measured it all out to make sure I could. And, and I've been home nearly, nearly two years now. That's such an incredible journey from being petrified of needles to actually dialysizing at home. That is incredible. And I really like what you said about shared care, because I, I really think that that is the foundation of empowering people to take mm -hmm. care of themselves. And I like the fact that the hospital that you were under encouraged that because clearly that took you to where you are now. I think that is oh, that's amazing. That is and part of something that pushes shared care. There's a lot of places still that don't promote shared care. And yes, it is time consuming for the nurses and they do have a lot to deal with. And there are so many sessions of dialysis over the hospital. It is a case of getting a patient in, getting them on, getting them off and getting them out for the next one. 
They have a morning session, the afternoon session, the evening session. They have three to four patients per day on that one machine. And that is four hours to five hours each time for each patient. So it is time consuming. And if the staff are either not willing or feel they don't have the time to get on board with this, then it's not going to happen. But it is proven, it is scientifically proven that shared care and home dialysis benefits patients absolutely massively. And it is so much better for your mental health. And I am testament to that fact. Um, I am a bubbly person by nature. That is who I am. But I do have my bad days. And there is nothing wrong with that. It is okay not to be okay. And I do have them days where I just sit and I dwell and woe is me. I 100% have them days. I'm not always positive all of the time. And I think when you go over to that unit, it's just kind of so monotonous and it's and it's the waiting round and all, and it's four hours over there. And it's not always fun. It's freezing cold for one. And you're tired and depending on what time you get, what session you get, you're there shattered and there is people a lot poorlier than I am. And it can be a depressing place to be. It really can. And coming home just gave me that control, that confidence. I'm home with the children. It was really hard on my youngest one when I was in the hospital all the time. She really struggled with it. And being home, one good thing is I'm here for them. But one bad thing is I'm here for them when you're on dialysis. <laughs> and it seems to be they wait till I am on dialysis and I physically can go nowhere to come and ask me for things or complain about things. So <laughs> it's a double-edged sword, but it massively helped my mental health. There's actually no question about it. Massively changed my mental health coming home. So I think more, I think every hospital needs to get on board. Every unit needs to get on board with this. And there is patients out there wanting to do it. More and more and more patients wanting to do it now. So for somebody listening who is maybe very early on in their dialysis journey, they might be feeling the same way that you were feeling. They're feeling scared. They might not, you know, feel the confidence to put the needles in themselves or, or any part of that process. What advice would you give to that individual in terms of getting to the point of empowerment where they feel confident, where they feel that they can actually be part of the shared care process? I would say... The first step to empowering yourself is starting dialysis. That's empowerment in itself. It's a scary, scary thing. And just going there, yes, I know that you don't have a choice to go. You have to go. But if you have a question, ask. Don't stay silent. No question is a stupid question. Nothing is stupid. They've heard it all before. Ask, 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 and ask again. That is what I would say. And any part of the shared care is empowering. Do your own weight. That's empowering. You've took a little bit of control there. Do your pack. It's literally opening a pack and setting it up. That is empowering. You've taken a bit more control. Fill in your own, your own record. Fill in your own sheet. Do your own blood pressure. You learn to do that. Majorly empowered. And once you get to the setting up your machine bit, that is empowering itself. You have took a little bit of control over your health. And if you don't want to do any of that, that's fine as well. If you would prefer to not be a part of that side of it, then don't. You don't have to do it. Take your own time. 
take it at your own pace. There is no rush at all. Just do one step at a time. And when you want to do something, do it. You don't want to do something, don't do it. But my biggest bit of advice would be always ask the questions. That's amazing advice. Thank you so much. And I really believe that asking questions is so powerful. And like you said, there is no such thing as a stupid question. Sometimes that question that you think is, in quote, stupid can be the difference between you feeling great and you feeling awful. So I really am encouraging ask the questions. The staff are there to help and support you. So, yes, ask the questions. Definitely. Are there any myths about kidney disease that you would like to debunk? Uh, One of them, I got told that when you start dialysis, you'd come off and you'd be throwing and throwing and you'd be pooly. No, you're not going to be throwing and throwing and throwing and be pooly. They know what they're doing. And the nurses and the staff are there to help you and prepare you and get you ready. I can't think of any other myths. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> so on top of being a wife, having three children, all the things that you do, yeah, a little birdie told me that you're going to do a skydive. I am. So, I am. I am. <laughs> but you know what? After telling me about the 10K <laughs> when you were in <laughs> failure, the skydive is now not such a surprise. So, yeah. So tell me about this skydive that you're going to do? So I'm part of the fundraising team that is trying to raise £500,000 for the renal day unit over James Cook Hospital in Middlesbrough. And I was interviewed um, over the phone by somebody about it a while back. And I said, I am willing to do anything to raise money for that unit. I'd even jump out of a plane. <laughs> now, that was... That was used all over social media, all over the James Cook website. And I went on to a radio station and it was on there as well. So I couldn't get out of it. So I am now signed <laughs> up. I am jumped, I'm doing a skydive on the 4th of July this year to raise money. So yes, I'm doing it and it's already booked. So there's no backing out now. I've always wanted to. It's one of them things I've always wanted to do on your bucket list. And I'm excited about it, but also I'm jumping out of a place. (laughs) (laughs) So, oh, wow. If anyone wants to sponsor you, how do they, you know, what's the information? How do they go about doing that? You could go on to the South Tees Hospital website or or you can go on Twitter and there's the hashtag uh, bean raising, bean fundraising, B-E-A-N. Um, and you could follow that and there will be, you could go onto the website to fundraise. You could also fundraise through, you could also donate through me. If you look for me, Sarah Eels on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and there is the link on my page to click on to donate. Okay. So we're going to repeat that information again. So it's the hashtag. So B-E-A-N. Fundraising. Hashtag yeah. and that's on Twitter. That's on Twitter and it's on the South Tees Hospital on Twitter. If you look for them, um, and you'd be able to find the hashtag bean fundraising. It's a purple kidney bean 
and there will be a link for you to follow on there to click to fundraise to donate sorry and you could also donate through me so do you have a final word for the listeners my final word would be if you're down don't live there live that out in that day get out your system straighten your crown and get on with it if you have a question ask don't stay silent and love life thank you so much for your amazing advice for sharing your story and yes my mind is so blown by the fact that you are gonna jump out of a plane like wow I just think that's so amazing and all the very best with your fundraising and thank you so much for the advice that you shared I know that's going to help so many listeners out there so many people who are starting out on their journey who might be feeling scared it's going to give them so much encouragement so thank you so much for your time and for your advice you're more than welcome thank you so much for having me thank you for listening to diary of a kidney warrior podcast and don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle diary of a kidney warrior please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend new episodes of this podcast are released every monday until next time take care and choose to live diary of a kidney warrior sharing faith knowledge hope and love